it is Knickknack of the Knickknack Podcast. This will be Season 8, Episode 23. You guys are really, really getting some bang for your buck this time around. Uh, and this is going to be called Pretending to be an Aviation Expert. Because we've had two incidents, uh, both in the U.S. this time around, and they both warrant some discussion from a man who uh, is an on and off student pilot with all of 3.1 hours in his logbook. Uh, so, we'll get to that and probably a few other things as well. So, sit back, relax, get your uh, portable electronic devices ready, seatbacks in the full upright position, seatbelts on, of course, and we'll get ready to go. Alright, so first of all, we have uh, the bigger news story, and huh, I thought I hit the button to make that go away. Now I did. Uh, Oh, that sound in the background is my new scanner, which is tuned to uh, Chico Municipal, so I know it may sound unprofessional, but you know what? It proves that I'm a nav geek, even when recording a podcast, so there we go. Uh... Right, so two aviation incidences that need to be discussed today. The bigger one, uh, in terms of numbers of the people affected, uh, was the uh, Delta runway uh, excursion uh, off of runway 13 yesterday, the 5th of March. And uh, I don't know a lot about the accident, uh, but I can give you some basics that might help uh, those of you that aren't geeks kind of understand this scenario here. Because uh, I imagine uh, when all shakes out, it's not going to be all that dissimilar uh, to the uh, Southwest overrun at Midway back in 2008, I think it was. Um, So here we have the scenario. Uh, It's an MD-80, MD-90, which is a uh, 100-seat to 150-seat aircraft. I'm not sure exactly how many it holds, but in that arena, um, it has its engines mounted on the tail, versus under the wing, um, which uh, results in some rather unique characteristics. And also, uh, just to prove that I know trivia here, uh, the flight controls are uh, not hydraulically driven as they are in most jetliners, but they are actually uh, uh, wired the way uh, they would be in a GA aircraft, where... um, each movement of your flight controls on the flight deck is directly tied uh, via cables to the actual movement of the control surface, which uh, mm, probably makes these ent- these aircraft really interesting to fly. Uh, the absolute 
uh, opposite of Airbus, uh, which has fly-by-wire system, which uh, has computers interpreting your control uh, inputs, and then the computers actually tell the control surfaces what to do, and they do that via hydraulic actuators. And the 737 uh, doesn't have the computers that sit, sit in between the control stick and the actual control surface, uh, but it does have hydraulic actuators that are sent messages from the pilot's control input, and uh, they go out to the uh, hydraulic system to actually move the flight controls, the ailerons, the rudders, uh, and the elevator, and elevator trim. Uh, aileron trim too, but that doesn't get used very often. So, here's the scenario that happened. Uh, it was snowing, a uh, rather significant storm uh, from the pictures that I've seen of this uh, runway excursion uh, for runway 13 at LaGuardia, New York's LaGuardia. And uh, I can't tell you what happened uh, other than what's plainly evident. Uh, the aircraft overran the runway, got very close to the water, um, and there were some uh, moderate injuries from the sound of things, uh, no major injuries, so that's a good, uh, good positive thing. Um, but let me tell you some of the factors uh, that come into play when uh, landing a jet, and this you know, this isn't coming from first-hand experience. I wish it were, but it's not. Uh, this is coming from uh, just a bit of research I've done, watching just planes videos, and uh, flights in time. So, when you land a jet, you're generally landing, uh, on average, uh, somewhere between 150 and 140 miles an hour. And you got to get the thing stopped pretty quick. Uh, even if you have a longer runway. Uh, in this case, um, actually I'm going to look, look it up as we speak so I don't uh, come off as a complete idiot because I don't want to do that. I should have uh, looked it up beforehand, but I didn't. Uh, so in this scenario, uh, you've got a relatively short runway at LaGuardia, um, and I think that's uh, mostly due to the space around the airport. Uh, it's kind of uh, situated close to water. I don't, I think I've landed at LaGuardia once in the sim. Uh, and it was kind of, uh, it's a bit like landing at Burbank. It gets your attention. Uh, definitely not your average um, landing. And indeed, as I'm looking at airnav.com and aerial pictures, uh, the runway uh, it is much like San Francisco, nestled right up to the water there. Uh, so if you undershoot or overshoot the runway, uh, uh, you're going swimming, most likely. Um, in this case, they managed to avoid uh, going swimming here. So uh, from what I understand, they were landing on runway 13, uh, which ends uh, out in the water there on the 31 side of the runway, so it's runway 13, opposite end 31, much as it is uh, here at Chico Municipal, 
and the runway itself is, bear with me here, uh, tell me a runway length, um, landing, uh, landing air, landing space available is 7,003 feet, so not really short, but relatively short. Uh, and the runway length itself, uh, 7,000 odd feet, uh, and it's not really telling me, I wish it would tell me, um, without me actually having to look while I talk at the same time. Uh, do-do-do-do-do, four pappies, um, that's helpful to me, not necessarily helpful to the general public, uh, okay. It's 7,003 feet long. Uh, so that's uh, a relatively short runway. Not extremely short. Not Burbank short or uh, Midway short, certainly. But not that long either. And uh, looking at the picture here, I believe 1-3 would generally be the landing runway. And uh, four two two would be the takeoff runway at LaGuardia, and I'm just going to confirm that by, oh no, they're about the same length, uh, 422 is 7,001 feet long, and, uh, 1331 is 7,003 feet long, so technically this is the long runway at LaGuardia that they ran here, uh, but like I said, not, not incredibly long runway, um, relative to JFK, which has, I don't know, 12,000 feet, 11,000 feet. Uh, San Francisco has 11,000 feet. Uh, even Sacramento has 8,600 and something feet. Uh, so a relatively short runway here that we're dealing with. And uh, it was snowing. Uh, not sure what the uh, aircraft ahead of this of the accident airplane were reporting, but um, I'm assuming that the uh, braking condition was probably fair to poor. Um, that's just what I'm thinking. Uh, so in this scenario, uh, what's probably going through the pilot's head is, I've got to get down, I've got to get stopped. Um, they're not going to pay as much attention to the touchdown rate, as you might if you had a longer runway. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a bump, uh, I imagine, and then uh, you're going to be stopping rather quickly, or at least that's the intent. Now, the way you stop at 150 miles an hour, or from 150 miles an hour, in less than 7,000 feet, which is a feat in and of itself, if you really think about it, uh, you have, obviously, the brakes, and uh, most modern aircraft, including the MD-80, MD-90, have an auto brake system. Uh, so basically, when the aircraft detects that it is on the ground, it automatically applies a certain amount of brake, and the pilot can uh, select how much braking power that they want. Uh, in this case, I would guess um, that they were probably using... Uh, 75% to 100% of the braking power. Uh, again, I'm 
speculating here, which I know I shouldn't do, but I am. Uh, so they're using a lot of braking power, uh, and that makes sense. Uh, the airplanes have uh, uh, anti-skid devices, so that uh, ABS braking, basically, so the uh, chances of skidding on the runway uh, are significantly reduced, and obviously the airport works very hard to uh, keep the runway as free of contem- contamination and ice, etc., as is possible. Uh, so in addition to the braking action that happens automatically um, for the first part of the rollout, for the first part of uh, the landing roll, uh, for, for the time that from the time that the main wheels touch to the time that you get stopped uh, so you have the main annual automatic braking that uh, comes into play and then you also have uh, the spoilers and the spoilers are panels on top of the wing uh, that again uh, assuming the pilot makes the right uh, control input uh, automatically come up when you touch down, and they spoil the lift on the wing to help the aircraft firmly stay on the ground uh, to give you the uh, most amounting, amount of braking uh, effectiveness as possible. So that's kind of the second device uh, that is used to stop the aircraft. So uh, that's why if you're sitting over the wing of a jet that's landing, uh, the wing will kind of look like it's uh, in sections. That's because the flaps are down. Uh, and then uh, top panels on the top of the wing uh, will come up, and that's the spoilers, um, making sure that the all lift on the wing is spoiled so that the aircraft uh, has maximum braking effectiveness. Uh, so that's the second component of the systems that uh, are used to land a jet. And the third component is what's called reverse thrust, and that's uh, basically that huge roaring noise that you hear upon touchdown, that whatever, I can't make the noise, but that's what it is, and it basically, instead of sucking in air through the engines and moving the aircraft further forward, it turns that process around and uh, gets air that's coming out of the back and pushes it uh, forward. And this helps uh, the aircraft slow down, and it also sounds really cool. Um, So, in order to have a successful landing uh, on shorter runways, or in general, uh, in order to be able to go from 150 miles an hour to 80 or 90, which is what you need, actually probably a little less than that, but in that vicinity, which is what you need to be able to uh, steal your aircraft off the runway and safely onto the taxiway and then taxi in. Um, You have to have the spoilers deploy. You have to have uh, the flaps in the right position uh, to give you the amount of lift that you need. You have to have the gear down, obviously. Uh, In this case, they clearly had the gear down, so they got that much right. Um, And you also have to have the reverse thrust deploy. Uh, Now, generally, uh, in runway overrun scenarios, uh, one of those uh, three main things does not happen. Uh, It's rare that you have an auto brakes failure. Uh, It's more common, uh, and this certainly was uh, what happened 
in the Southwest uh, case, I believe, what didn't they deploy? They didn't deploy reverse thrust, as I recall. Um, so generally, the things that go wrong is uh, the crew fails to uh, deploy reverse thrust, or they forget to set the uh, spoilers so they automatically come up upon landing. So, uh, given that, and given, given accident reports that I've read in this, in, on this subject, um, the like, uh, by the time the investigation shakes out, um, it's probably going to be uh, that there were poor braking conditions on the runway, and um, chances are that the air crew either uh, didn't apply sufficient reverse thrust uh, to help the aircraft stop, or the uh, spoilers failed to deploy either due to mechanical fault or due to the crew's failure to set them at the proper detent. Um, so that's my educated guess at what happened there. And in this case, very fortunate, uh, moderate injuries from what I understand. Uh, and the aircraft uh, crashed through a fence, but it stopped short of the uh, water there um, at LaGuardia. So that takes care of um, kind of explaining that uh, accident scenario and the factors that... Uh, come into play when landing a jet. Um, so, uh, the other uh, incident uh, we have, uh, I think certainly qualifies as the off-field landing of the week. Uh, in this case, um, the wonderful Harrison Ford, who's just awesome. He's uh, done many awesome things for aviation, as well as, of course, uh, in the acting category. Most uh, He's best known for his role as Han Solo in the Star Wars trilogy, and of course Indiana Jones, although he's had uh, many other great roles as well. Uh, so he was flying a vintage World War II plane, and he was flying it out of Santa Monica, which is uh, just north of LAX. Uh, They're kind of on the coast uh, in the LA Basin area. And uh, Based on the pictures that I saw, um, and knowing what little I know, uh, my hypothesis of what happened here uh, is he was taking off uh, probably very low in his initial climb, and he had either an engine uh, partial failure or engine complete failure, um, and coming off of Santa Monica there, there are houses right in front of the... Uh, off the departure end of the runway. However, there's a golf course uh, on the upland leg there, in other words, just to the left of the departure end of the runway. Um, and Mr. Ford uh, did what any good pilot would do, and he did it well. Um, he managed to uh, make a left, uh, and uh, as gently as he possibly could, uh, got his aircraft down, in this case on a golf course. Um, pretty banged up, from what I understand, uh, but every th um, uh, from everything I've heard, he'll uh, make a full recovery and things will be okay. Um, but uh, the media, as it usually does, is making this sound 
uh, so horrible and he's screwed up or whatever. Um, in this scenario, so close to the ground, um, there's a lot of things, a lot of potential poor decisions that a pilot can make. The worst one uh, being the decision uh, when you're so low and so slow to uh, try and turn around, make a 360 to go back to the runway. Bad idea. Don't do that. Uh, what Mr. Ford did, which is uh, the best option, really, uh, is try and find a space where you can land uh, relatively quickly, and you have to do this within seconds. Um, steer the airplane in that direction uh, and do the best power-off landing you can possibly do. And, uh, you know, other times it's probably better if you have a open space straight ahead that you use that, uh, but uh, it looks like off the departure end of uh, uh, the runway on Santa Monica Santa Monica there, there's houses immediately there, so um, not a good place to land in the middle of houses, so uh, he did the best thing he could, took a left, and managed to successfully uh, come down on the golf course, uh, and like I said, pretty significantly banged up uh, from the sound of things, but all in all, I congratulate, I congratulate you, Mr. Ford, uh, off-field landing of the week, certainly. Uh, now the... Uh, Part of this story that I want to clear up uh, relative to the media is uh, the procedures uh, relative to the airport. Now, I don't have the uh, uh, noise abatement procedures or anything like that for Santa Monica right in front of me, uh, but generally what happens is you uh, climb out, and you attain a certain altitude. Uh, this is uh, predetermined by the local procedures for the airport. Um, and generally, you, uh, for an area like Santa Monica, very noise sensitive, uh, there's usually a noise abatement procedure. Um, and in this case, since the houses are pretty much due ahead of you, um, I'm assuming the news abate noise abatement procedure would have you climb as quickly as you could and then make a left turn out towards uh, the ocean, I believe, in this case. Um, I imagine uh, Mr. Ford probably ended up making that turn uh, sooner than other aircraft would simply because he had the engine problem uh, and he had the wherewithal to say, hey, there's a golf course to my left. Let's land there. Um, but in most cases, I imagine... Uh, you're going to climb out, uh, get to a safe altitude, safe speed, make your left turn, uh, so you're on what's called the upwind leg of the traffic pattern. And then uh, if you were to, um, you know, have enough airspeed and altitude and whatever else, or be intending to land again at the uh, airport that you just took off from, in this case Santa Monica, uh, what you do is you would uh, go on your upwind leg. In other words, uh, you'd be going um, to the left of the airfield. You've taken off, um, and then you take a left, and you're giving yourself space so you can then turn, uh, make another left turn, and in this case, I believe it would be over the ocean, in this case. Um, again, I don't have the charts for Santa Monica right in front of me, uh, 
but you make a left turn to parallel the airport, and then um, as a visual cue, uh, once the end of the runway is lined up with your shoulder, more or less, uh, you take a another turn, uh, this time uh, heading towards the runway, but not directly towards it, to it, and then once you're uh, perpendicular to the airport, then you take your final left, uh, and that's what it's called, called base to final turn, and then you line up and land on the runway. So that's the typical traffic pattern, which uh, the mainstream media does not seem to understand. So hopefully I've cleared a little bit of that up. Um, and again, congratulations to Mr. Ford for doing a wonderful job getting the aircraft down um, and uh, the aircraft may not be able to uh, fly again. It uh, looked like it was in pretty bad shape, but guess what? looks like Mr. Ford will be able to fly again. So that's what we call a successful off-field landing. Uh, now, a couple other things to cover. Uh, good news on a personal front. Uh, I was able to uh, get a uh, external hard drive case, a hot swap case. In other words, you can take the hard drive out and put it in uh, fairly rapidly for serial ITA, and I was able to get all my data uh, off of my old hard drive that was failing and onto the new hard drive. So I haven't lost all my data, and that is awesome. And if I could find... There we go. Yeah, certainly, and it uh, certainly warrants that. Uh, so I'm really happy about that. It's taken quite a bit to uh, get my uh, stuff together here, reinstall Flight Sim, which I actually did about a week ago, uh, get my broadcasting software working, which obviously it's uh, being used now, so uh, it's not entirely hopeless, but uh, there's still some kinks to be worked out. Um, but uh, I'm very happy because I haven't lost all my data, um, and we're good to go again. Um, and uh, that just brings me to one final point. Um, I do work very hard to bring you this podcast. I try and uh, give you valuable content uh, as much as I can, and your help financially would be greatly appreciated. So uh, please, if you feel so inclined... Uh, go ahead and give me a donation. You can do so at November Indio Charlie, November Alpha Charlie, Juliet Alpha Kilo, Dot Lima Indio Bravo, Sierra Yankee November, Dot Charlie, Oscar Mike, that's N I C N A C J A K, Dot Lipson, L I B S Y N, Dot Com. And, uh, there's a PayPal button there where you can, uh, donate if you want. You can also leave audio comments. Uh, there via SpeakPipe. Uh, it's over there on the right-hand side. Uh, you can submit those to me as well. And you can also send me an email. The email address nicnacjak at gmail.com And finally, uh, there are links there to Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and also my Bandcamp, 
website where I have a couple audiobooks and music for sale as well. Every little bit helps, so if you feel so inclined, if you like the podcast, uh, please help out if you can. Uh, now, I'm wrapping it up here. I will probably be back soonish. Uh, happy March. Happy spring. Baseball is back. I'm excited. Uh, and till next time, stay safe. Stay sane. Happy railroading. Happy landings. <laughs>